0: You're listening to Omega Man Radio. T-minus ten, nine, Nine,
1: eight. eight. The clock is operating. We're underway.
0: are you ready ready to take a ride grab your coffee and strap yourself in if you listen we can hear god's plan because the show is about to begin you're listening you're listening to the omega man radio network
2: Mega Man Radio Network. Tonight is a special program. We're going to have a great guest on tonight, Benjamin Brook. But before we get started, I'm going to be reading some word for you. So if you have your Bibles with you, your swords of the Spirit, get them out now because we're going to open up to the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses starting with 5. Again, Luke, chapter 1, starting with verse 5. Here we go. There was in the days of Herod the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abi, And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord blameless. And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren, and they were both now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest office before God, in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest office, His lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son. And thou shalt call his name John, and thou shalt have joy and gladness. And Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and have sent to speak unto thee, and to shew thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb, and not able to speak, until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, Which shall be fulfilled in their season. Now, I was reading from uh, the book of Luke, chapter 1, starting with verses 5 and going down to verses 20. And you know, as I was doing some Bible study this week, uh, I'm reading that and I just stopped right there on the page. And it was like the Lord spoke to me. How often do we doubt the word of the Lord? You know, many of us um, read the word and we just don't believe it. Or maybe the Lord has spoken to you in your life and given you a promise. And you say, oh, well, you know, it may or may not happen. Folks, I'm here to tell you that when God speaks, you can take it to the bank. You know, here the angel Gabriel was sent to Zacharias, and even seeing the angel, Zacharias, you know, tempted God. You know, he said, like, show me a sign, basically. You know, because of that, um, he got a sign, all right. He was struck dumb for about nine months. Heaven forbid your tongue was tied where you couldn't speak for nine months, but that's exactly what happened. And as I was reading this, you know, two things were impressed upon me. You know, it says, And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed. You know, it's talking about a future date. Because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. And um, I glean from that many times the Lord will bring a word, even a warning. Uh, He'll give you a promise, and it's for a future date. And uh, in its own time, it will be performed. Listen, God is not a man that he shouldn't lie. Just as the, uh, the verse in Jeremiah one twelve says, Then said the Lord unto me, Thou hast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform it. You know, God watches over his word to perform it. And again, if God tells you something or speaks something, it's going to happen, folks. You can take it to the bank. If God were to lie, the universe would implode. I also want to uh, give you Habakkuk 2 3. It says, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Now, men will let you down. But when it comes to God, you can be assured that uh, if He said it, it's going to happen. And um, I'm speaking, you know, with. Some experience here. I've seen things that were uh, promised in my own life, and uh, I didn't see it come to pass immediately, but then in its proper season, it happened just like the Lord had declared it. So, a little bit of encouragement there for those of you that are hanging on to some promises of the Lord. You know, again, God will watch over His word to perform it, and uh, things will happen in its own season. You know, there's a, a season to be born, there's a season to die, there's a season to rejoice there's a season to cry paraphrased everything in its own season so that's my word for today well let's go to uh, a song and then we're going to be bringing on our special guest tonight benjamin baruch god bless everybody that came out tonight and i would like to encourage everyone that when you remember omega man radio you'll remember to bring a friend because uh, there's many people out there that uh, need the word for this hour and uh, that's what we're endeavoring to do Bring the word of the Lord for this hour and um, carry on in the full gospel that Jesus Christ has called us all to do as servants in Christ. Thank you, folks. We'll be right back after this all. Let's welcome special guest tonight, Benjamin Baruch on Mega Man Radio. Benjamin is author of The Day of the Lord is at Hand, and his website is com. He's going to be bringing an anointed word from the Lord tonight. And I would like to uh, encourage everyone out there to tell a friend about Omega Man Radio. And when you think about tuning in, think about uh, someone else that may need this message. And invite them to join in our live chat and listen along live or on the MP3 archives, which are available up at iTunes for free. Or you can go to uh, omegamanradio.com, our master website, click on the RSS button, and you'll see uh, a link for downloading all of our programs. Well, without further ado, let me welcome Benjamin on. And, Benjamin, it's an honor to have you on tonight. And uh, I'll give you the microphone at this time, brother. God bless you.
1: Well, thank you, Shannon. It's uh, The honor is actually mine. The honor is mine, brother. Um, and that song we all heard, that was Hall of Mirrors. And um, I think that was Malcolm and Alwyn. Some of you who have been uh, part of the community of the faithful for uh
3: as many years
1: as, as I have, uh, for me, this is my 40th year walking with the Lord. I got saved in 1971, and back in those days, Malcolm and Alwyn were uh, they were part of the contemporary Christian worship, Christian music. It was spirit-filled. It was spirit-filled. It was of the Lord. It was before the apostasy crept in among us. and uh, So it's great. Thank you. Shannon, for uh, playing that as part of the preamble to the show. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But great to be here, folks. Now, I don't have the uh, chat room, but Shannon does, and so I'm not going to be keeping up with the conversation. But, Shannon, if uh, any particular comments come up that you want to fire by me, um, just send me an email and I'll, I'll try to address them as I move forward with what we're going to be sharing tonight. Amen. Well, let's pray. Let's pray, everybody. Father, we come with thanksgiving and praise. We enter your courts with thanksgiving, Father. And we enter your tabernacle with praise, and we lift up the name that is above every name, Jesus, Yeshua, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And Jesus, we look to you right now. We ask for the leading of your spirit. We ask, Lord, that you would be exalted in this time, that your name would be lifted up and that your word of truth and your word of life would come forward as living manna out of heaven to nourish our spiritual man and his living water poured out through your Holy Spirit to quench our thirst within, Lord. We look to you. We look to your word. We bow our knee before you, Lord. We confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Him alone. And so, Lord, we look to Your Word. We ask You to speak. We, we consecrate this time to You, Lord. Bless Your people through the reading of Your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, folks, I want to uh, just tell you how pleased I am to be back uh, on Saturday night uh, to search the scriptures with... The audience of the Omega Man show, and um, I'm going to take us up to um, current day. We're going to we're going to roll forward through time in the Book of Isaiah, and we're going to go to what is on our television sets tonight, and and what is being spoken out of the heavens to our country in this hour, and to the exact point in in the Scriptures, in Bible prophecy, and in the Book of Isaiah, where we are in the Chronicle of Time, and um, I'm going to bring us to Isaiah chapter 18 and, and chapter 19, and 19 deals with what's happening in the land of Egypt right now, and we'll get into that. I will, as a preamble to it, though, I want to start in chapter 18, which is a prophetic word to the United States of America. Now, some of you may not realize that, you may not have perceived that. Isaiah 18 was a a scripture speaking to the United States. And we're going to go through how we know that that is, in fact, the message of this prophecy. And now some may have questions in their mind, uh, perhaps being confused by some of the context or some of the, the text here in the scripture. But we must remember that we're told in scripture that when the Lord God Almighty speaks, He speaks twice, and surely every prophetic word is fulfilled twice, and you can see evidence of that everywhere. There's the coming of the Messiah, which was prophesied. Probably the central prophetic revelation is that the Lord would send a Messiah. A Savior was going to come and save us. How many times does the Savior come? So, time and again, we will find the fulfillment of prophetic words occurring twice. And much of Bible prophecy, matter of fact, pretty much the whole book, was prophetic to the time that it was spoken, to the time that it was written. It also speaks to the time of the end, to our time, to our generation. So that is why oftentimes people get confused. They, they don't understand that the prophecies are going to be yet fulfilled again. And, and also people are, for the most part, not engaging in what I call good scholarship. They're not looking carefully. They're glossing over the scriptures and coming to the wrong conclusions. We're going to look carefully tonight. and Let's start with Isaiah 18. Let's start in verse 1. Woe to the land, shadowing with wings which is beyond the rivers of Ethiopia this land lies in the great distance woe to the land shadowing with wings the word in the hebrew for shadowing is tes al and it means clattering a whirring of wings a symbol a buzzing woe to that land that has got whirring wings over it lots of aircraft in the skies above this land, lots of buzzing, lots of clattering, lots of commerce, the people are buzzing about, verse two, that sends ambassadors by the sea, even in vessels of bulrushes upon the waters, saying, go, you swift messengers, to a nation that is scattered and peeled, and to a people who are terrible from the beginning a nation needed out and trodden down, whose land the rivers have spoiled. Well, that's... A, there's so much in verse 2. Let's just break down a little bit of it. Let's look into that word scattered. It's the word "mashak," and it means to draw, to sow, to develop, to march, to remove, to scatter, to stretch out. A nation of people who marched, they stretched out and they're peeled. The word peeled is marat, it means obstinate, strong-willed, it means independent. It also means peeled or clean-shaven. A nation of people who marched forth, they started on the east coast in the colonies and they marched forward always looking for the new frontier, independent. Wouldn't that describe the United States of America? Were we not independent from our beginning with our declaration of independence? And to a people terrible from their beginning, the word for terrible is yare to fear. And it actually translates to morally revere. These people, from their beginning, were morally reverenced. These were consecrated people. At the beginning of this nation, the founding fathers of this nation were morally revered. These were righteous men that founded this nation of scattered and peeled people. And they were dreadful. They were held in reverence. They were terrifying because in their moral uprightness, They had the power of God behind them. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord, who's trampling out the vintage where his grapes of wrath are stored, and he's loosing the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword, and his truth is marching on. Glory, 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 hallelujah. This is the United States of America, my friends. This nation shadowing with the wings of an eagle whose people have marched across the continent looking constantly for the next frontier, a people who are strong-willed and independent, clean-shaven, and who in their in their formative or early years were morally upright. This was a righteous nation at one time. And they crossed a land that was meted out. Look what the Scripture says. To a nation meted out. And the word for meted out literally means a cord for measuring Figuratively a ruler. And you you may not recognize this little trivia fact from history, but the way that the earth was measured, the process of, of precise mapping and measuring of the earth began in the 1800s through a process or a technology known as meets and bounds. And at the time, they literally meted out an area. They would literally meet it out. They would walk with a, uh, two sticks with a line in between. It would measure one meet, and they would meet it out, and they literally marched across it and measured it precisely. And the United States of America was the first nation to be precisely measured by meets and bounds. This is the first nation meted out and trodden down. The word for trodden down is meb osa and it means literally be trampled underfoot, to literally be walked across. The United States was literally walked across, although we did use covered wagons and horseback for part of it, whose land the rivers have spoiled, and the word for uh, spoiled there is divided. This nation has been has witnessed its land divided by many rivers, and if you get your globe out or if you get your map of the world out, just look at how many rivers there are in the United States of America, and then go look at Europe, look at Russia, look at China, Look around the rest of the world for another nation whose land the rivers have divided. You will find nothing like the United States of America. This land has more rivers, more waters, more Great Lakes than any land in the world. This is a land that has been spoiled or divided or separated by rivers and by waters and by lakes. Isaiah 18 is a prophecy to the people and to the nation of the United States of America. Not only that, it is a prophecy to this hour. I declare to you today that this day, in your hearing, this prophecy is being fulfilled in your hearing. In this year, this prophecy will be fulfilled. Isaiah 18:3: "All you inhabitants of the world and dwellers on the earth. Watch, look, observe. When the Lord lifts up an ensign upon the mountains, and when he blows a trumpet, hear. And the word for ensign is not it means a flag, a signal, a token, a sign, a standard. The United States of America was a cup, a signal, a sign, a token in the hand of the Lord, and he lifted it up on the mountains above all the nations as a sign to the earth. And for 200 years, the United States of America was a sign of freedom. And it was a sign of justice and of truth and of righteousness. And that nation that stood proud in its righteousness had a Bible in its hand. And it had its eyes looking up to the God of heaven. And as President Washington said when he was first in office, when one of, one of the people spoke to him and and called him King Washington. And General Washington said, Nay, sir, in this nation there be one king only, and he, Jesus Christ. No, the king over this land in that day was Jesus Christ.
3: And this nation
1: was a sign to the world. And now, having become an apostate, having fallen from the truth, having become a dwelling place for devils and all of the unclean birds of this planet, it's once again going to be a sign of the soon and certain judgment coming upon the earth. Even as the United States was first and foremost in terms of revelation of truth, America had more truth, more revelation, more Bibles, more churches, more teaching, more preaching, more of the anointing, more of God's healing power, more of everything God could give a people. And yet we, we turned a deaf ear to his spirit. We turned a hard heart to the heart of the Lord. We turned away and pursued our own devices. We forsook the ministry of the kingdom. and We followed our own inventions. And in many, many places we forsook the Lord entirely and followed demons and other gods and that which is not a god at all, becoming enslaved to that which had enslaved the carnal pagan nations. Now America will again be a sign. It will again be a symbol of what is about to come upon the whole earth. Isaiah 18.4 For so the Lord said unto me, I will take my rest. The Lord is going to sit down. He's going to take his rest. And I will consider, I will wait, In my dwelling place, like clear heat upon the herbs, in a cloud of dew in the heat of harvest, the Lord will wait. Verse 5. For before, or in the King James, afore, and that really translates before the harvest, when the bud is perfect, and the sour grape is ripening in the flower, he shall both cut off the sprigs with pruning hooks, and take away and cut down the branches. Folks, before the harvest, this is what's going to happen this year in America. I used to say in, in a soon summer, some soon summer, and after which the harvest. But now I must say this summer, and soon, this coming harvest. And the word for afore, this is very interesting. It's panim, but in this verse it is plural. And it's always used as a singular. It's always a singular tense in the scripture. And it's, it's a relatively unused noun. Here it's used Plural. And it literally means before the harvest. But it also means against or anger against the harvest or battle, the battle upon the harvest. And and more clearly, you could interpret this, this could be translated, the face that turns in the harvest. The turning of the face in the time of the harvest. And and I I think of that um, song a long time ago. You know, the Lord knows when the cold wind blows, it'll turn your face around. This harvest season, the Lord's going to do some face turning for a large group of people that refuse to listen to Him. And they refuse to obey. They're pursuing their own inventions, and they're walking in their own ways. Well, before this harvest, the Lord's going to turn the faces sharply. When the faces turn before the harvest, when the bud is perfect and the sour grape is ripening in the flower, this is the fall, my friends. He shall both cut off the sprigs with pruning hooks and take away and cut down the branches. Well, this is why the faces are going to be turned, friends.
2: The sprigs
1: are going to be cut off and the branches are going to be cut down. And the word for cut off is to cut down, to destroy, to consume. And sprigs, the sprigs are the twigs. <laughs> it means a twig, but it also is from the root zalal, which means to be morally loose. <laughs> These are the liberals among us. These are the people that are a little vile, a little morally compromised. The scripture calls them worthless or prodigals. Gluttons are included in this list, my friends. So those who are serving their bellies are among those who are considered morally reprobate. Riotous eaters as well. The morally compromised, the twigs of those that have never grown up, they're still living in the flesh and they're still living in their moral compromise. They've not died to themselves. No. They want no part of the cross. They just want the doctrine of salvation. So they go to the Laodicean church of a Laodicean nation and they're going to get cut off this fall. And the word for cut off is karath. It means to destroy, to consume, to be cut. The word for harvest This is interesting too. Before the harvest, the harvest is katsir, and it actually means the severing. Uh, the harvest as in being reaped. Or you could translate it into the time of the reaper. The harvest man that's coming. I think of that song, you know, don't fear the reaper. Well, the reaper's coming in the fall, my friends. And don't fear the reaper. Fear the one who wields the hookah. The sickle in his hand. Fear him who controls the reaping. Fear the God of heaven that is purging his temple, cutting off the sprigs and breaking off his branches. And the word uh, for branch is, um... Let's go there. I don't have that in my notes. I apologize. Just take me one sec. And, um...
2: If you're just tuning in to Omega Man Radio, we've got special guest Benjamin Bruch on tonight. This is a live program, and uh, I'm on uh, a Skype connection tonight, folks, so forgive my audio quality, but we're going to make it. Praise the Lord.
1: Amen. Thank you, Brother Shannon. Yeah, the word for branch is is net, is saw, and it means uh, an offshoot, a battlement, a plant, a branch. The Lord is cutting off the twigs. And, the branches. And, and in other places in scripture we know that, um, that this judgment, this cutting off pertains to the portion of his vine that is not fruitful. The portion that is not bearing fruit, not full of the holy oil, not full of the anointing, the, the water from on high, but rather is dried up, is withered up in a land without any water. There's a great drought on this nation right now in the spirit. There's droughts on the earth in the natural in terms of water, but there's a great drought in the spirit. There's a drought for hearing from the word or hearing the word of the Lord today. All over this land, men and women that, that in times past have heard from the Lord are commenting, you know, who has heard from the Lord? The voice of the Lord is very, very... Rare in this day. There's a famine for hearing the voice of the Lord. And there's a famine for being able to listen to the voice of the Lord in this day. You know, there are many prophets, many false prophets. Oh, the Lord warned us there'd be so many false prophets. They are everywhere. And last week or two weeks ago, we we talked about that. That counterfeit church that's being built in the land of Shinar, which is the plains of Babylon, where it's really being empowered by evil spirits, and it's really just a big satanic counterfeit. But the true word of God is, is very precious in this hour. But I declare to you that this, this word in, in Isaiah 18 is being fulfilled now. It's being fulfilled Today, he shall take away and cut down the branches. In verse 6, they shall be left together unto the fowls of the mountain. There will be a remnant left. There will be a remnant that is not cut off. And they will be left together unto the fowls of the mountain and to the beasts of the earth. And the fowls shall summer upon them, and the beasts of the earth shall winter upon them.
3: And the word for
1: left in this this verse is azab, and it means
3: um,
1: to loosen, to forsake, to leave destitute. They shall be left destitute together. The remnant, the ones that escape the cutting off, that survive the cutting off that's coming, are going to uh, be forsaken and left destitute together. They're going to be united. The word for together is yachad, and it means a unit, united. The, the remnant that will, will survive what's about to happen here, no longer going to be divided on on the stuff that has everybody divided today. We're not going to be so worried about whether you like the letter J or Y. And we're not going to debate how one interprets keeping the Sabbath day. The only question will be, are you walking in the spirit of the living God? Yes or no? If the answer is yes, then you can join me. If the answer is no... Don't even knock on my door. If the answer is yes, you are welcome within. And that will be the rule within the remnant. There's only one test. Do you have the spirit of the living one in you? Are you walking in the spirit of him who lives forever? If you are, then you are welcome within the camp of the remnant who will be very destitute. Everything we thought we had will have been vanity by this point. It will have been worthless because it cannot deliver you in the hour that's coming. And everyone will realize it by this time next year. They shall be left together. Hallelujah. Finally, the unity that the Lord prayed for, I pray that they be one. Well, the Father's going to make us one by cutting off all of the mixture. The mixed multitude is going to be cut off and burned outside the camp. And the poor and the destitute will become one, Echad, in his spirit, following this judgment. They shall be left together unto the fowls of the mountains, and to the beasts of the earth. And the word for fowls is the the birds. They're swift, ravenous birds. Whereas the beasts, they're dumb. It it literally translates, dumb beasts. So you've got two hosts that are bringing the persecution. One is the ravenous birds that come quickly. Then there's the slow, plodding beasts that slowly cover the land. So, in effect, a picture of two judgments, a swift followed by a a slow but thorough. And and we read, they shall summer upon them. And, of course, the, the judgment begins at the end of, Summer, And it means to clip off, to spend the harvest season upon them. So these ravenous birds are going to spend the harvest season literally coming upon God's people. Plucking them out one by one. Whereas the beast of the earth shall winter. And, and by winter the word in the scriptures, karaf, means to pull off, to expose by stripping to, it also includes to defy, to derail, to reproach, to blaspheme. So there's uh, a concept of being spoken against, whereas the, the judgment of the wild birds, these ravenous birds, is clearly just an attack, a direct attack. The wild beast that will follow next the winter, that follows this coming summer, also will be... Uh, defaming the remnant publicly. There's a propaganda element that the remnant of God's people will be lambasted publicly as somehow the enemy or part of the problem of what happened to America this year. And um, now let's go to verse 7. In that time, the time of the harvest, the judgment that's coming, when the pruning hooks come out this fall. In that time shall the present be brought unto the Lord of hosts, of a people scattered and peeled, and from a people who were terrible from their beginning, hitherto, the a nation that's been meted out and trodden underfoot, whose land the rivers have spoiled, to the place of the name of the Lord of hosts, the Mount of Zion. The Lord is going to be brought a present, Isn't that amazing? Out of all of this, the Lord gets a present. There's a present coming. Hallelujah. God's doing this incredible judgment on his people. And it's my witness. It's my opinion. I'm not making a prophetic declaration. I'm just making a Benjamin declaration. I just bear witness within me. This word's going to be fulfilled this year. And out of this judgment that's coming, there's going to be a people who are purified. Because when the Lord's judgments are in the earth, people shall learn righteousness. Scripture tells us it's only by judgment do we learn righteousness. Scripture declares that Jesus Christ learned obedience from the things He suffered. We, too, will learn perfect obedience through the trials and the tribulations that are coming and from the things that we are about to suffer. And out of those fires of tribulation that are coming, a people of pure language are going to be brought forth, people whose hearts have been purified, people who have repented from the depth of their being, who are now walking in true righteousness, and now walking in holiness. And these people who've been purified through the fire are the Lord's portion. And here in Isaiah verse seven, Isaiah eighteen verse seven, we're told that they are a present. In that day shall the present, the gift, be brought to the Lord. This is his portion. This is his tithe offering. Out of all of the believers, all of the people in the United States who are being saved, there's a small portion that are his remnant that is going to purify through this fire. While he brings the rest of a compromised and hypocritical nation to repentance through the fire, through the cutting off of the sprigs and the cutting down of the branches in a small company of them, He brings them to total repentance and to righteousness through the same hour of fire, the same hour of trial. But their lives are spared. They're brought unto utter desolation. They have nothing left in themselves. They will come forth out of the wilderness, leaning wholly upon their Lord, their beloved. They will no longer trust the world. They will no longer rely on... On men, They will no longer trust in their money or in the things that they can accomplish by the arm of the flesh. But they will all together trust in the Lord. And they shall be brought unto the Lord. And look where they're going. To the place of the name of the Lord of hosts, the Mount of Zion. The place where the Lord put his name is the Holy Temple Mount, the land of Israel. Back to Zion. This will be the early wave of the second exodus. Did you know that there, there's another exodus? Oh, yeah. There is. It's in the scriptures. There is a second exodus coming. And in the scriptures, and, and we'll get into it because this is in Isaiah. We'll, we'll touch this in a, the coming weeks. It says that after the second exodus... No one will even want to tell the story about the first Exodus out of Egypt in the time of Moses again. Because everyone will want to hear the stories of the second Exodus. Friends, that is what is about to begin. We are entering into the countdown for the judgment of our God. The day of the Lord is indeed at hand. It is actually already begun, and it is about to accelerate. You know the day begins in evening. Erev and Boker, evening and morning. Scripture tells us that in the evening and the morning were the first day. Erev is the word for evening. Boker means morning, the breaking The break of the morning and every day begins in the twilight as the darkness comes and the middle of the day is when the sunlight pierces the sky the breaking of the morning we've already been in the day of the Lord it's just you can't see it with the natural eye because the day started with evening. Darkness fell. And in the natural eye, you can't see anything of what's happening. Only those with the eyes of the Spirit can see the changes that are occurring. But to those who cannot see by the Spirit, who can only see in the natural eye, they've seen little to nothing. Well, that all changes at the moment of the breaking of the light. When the breaking of the morning light comes, the evening ends and the Beaucaire begins. Now every eye can see the change which the new day has brought. And that's this year, friends. This is the year of the morning. Yes, I testify to you that morning comes in America. 2011, the year of the morning. Oh, and there shall be a great morning from coast to coast, from east to west, and from north to south. The land of America shall mourn and shall wail and shall cry out for the great burning upon her. For the light that is coming is bright. It is bright indeed, and the heat of thereof is hot. Burning with anger, and the judgment of the Lord of hosts has decreed it so. Behold, I have told you all things in advance. This is the year for the great inbreaking, this is the year for the lights to come on, this is the year for the cutting off of the sprigs and the branches. And so we have been warned by the Lord. And, and we're going to go back, friends. Um, I'm not going to omit the last 17 verses of Isaiah two weeks ago in the first show of this series, Search the Scriptures. We we touched on Isaiah chapters 1 to 4, and we will go back. We're not skipping 5 to 17, but I felt that we should go to the contemporary uh, scriptures, which for this year and, and particularly for this hour, are chapters 18 and 19 in this show. But um, in subsequent shows, we're going to go back and examine the balance of what w- is previously written in Isaiah's book, which is also relevant to our hour. But right now, we are in um, 18 and and 19. So in in chapter 18, we were told God identified America, that this prophecy is to America, and and the, the warning in Isaiah 18 is that during the fall harvest, God's about to enter into the judgment with his people. And this is the judgment where he takes out the pruning hooks. He's cutting down branches, folks. And they will be the unfruitful branches, shall be cut down, and gathered together and burned in the fire. Jesus told us that. If any man does not abide in me, and my word does not abide in him, then he shall be unfruitful. And like an unfruitful branch, he will be withered, and he will be cut off, and men will gather them in bundles. They're going to be gathered together, you know, concentration. All the uh, unfruitful branches are going to go to a concentration branch, a place where you put concentrations together. And there, they're going to be cut up. Burned in the fire. But don't lose your hope. Don't lose your faith. Because you're not going to lose your salvation. Only your head. And in the fire, you're going to be brought to total repentance. And you're not going alone. The Lord will not forsake his people. For a brief moment, it may appear as if he forsook you. But he will not forsake you. I can promise you. He will come to everyone that calls on his name. And the people will be like Stephen on that day. They will literally, having been purified by the fire of that process, on the day that they're actually cut off from this earth, they will be able to look up and they'll see into heaven, one looking like the Son of Man in all his glory. And their own faces will be glowing. The glory of the kingdom. And they'll be caught up into glory. And they shall receive a a reward for having not denied his name, but having been faithful even unto death. And isn't God glorious? The mercy of the Lord. The wonder of his ways. Here he's taken a backslidden, compromised, sinful, corrupt church that will not hear the word of the Lord, that will not tolerate correction, that will beat his servants, ridicule his prophets, deride every word of truth that comes out of heaven. And the only way the Lord can get through to them is to literally hit them in the head. And in the process, God puts them in the fire. Oh, and it's an intense fire. Trust me in this. Brothers and sisters, some of them will think they died and went to hell. I know. I speak from experience. Some of them will actually think perhaps they've died and gone to hell. But no, you've not gone to hell. You're merely in the repentance rehabilitation workshop. That's what I call it. It's kind of like a retreat. You know, you didn't figure out this repent thing correctly. So the Lord's going to help you. He's sending you to his workshop where you will be taught how to repent, and you will repent, and you will be forgiven. Hallelujah. And you will be saved through the fire. And and having endured this incredible fire and been faithful unto his name, at the same time the Lord is using this fire to purge you of the sin and the flesh that you simply would not put off, you could not put off, or... For whatever reason, you were still subject to this flesh. You are not under the rule of his spirit. You are under the rule of the flesh. God sets you free through a fire that literally took your life of the flesh at the same time. In the same process, he's giving you a reward. You get a crown of glory. And you come through the other side in resurrection glory and we shall be before the king forever. So I tell you, brothers and sisters, do not fear what man can do unto you. Do not fear what man can do unto you. I tell you the one to fear. Fear the Lord. Fear him who made your soul and can burn it with fire in order to purify it. Fear him. Give glory unto him. For the hour of his judgment has indeed come upon us. You know, and God is not bringing this judgment on his children because he hates his children. God never changes. God still loves his people. But in order for you to enter into the kingdom, you must put off the works of unrighteousness. You must repent. You must become clean. We don't get there with our sin. And one of the deceptions of this Laodicean hour is that the simple belief in the doctrine of salvation is all that is required of a believer. Just believe in him and you're going to be saved. You know, here's the four spiritual laws. Just say this you know, pray this prayer for one minute. You know, say these words after me, and that's it. God's done everything he's ever going to do in your life. Are you kidding me? No, that's not it. That's the beginning, not the end. And Jesus says to us, if you want to follow me, take up your cross and deny yourself. What was the purpose of the cross? To kill the flesh. What is the purpose of denying you? yourself, what what part of yourself were you supposed to deny? The part that revels in the sin of the flesh. That was the part that was supposed to die. And the Lord says, and I called for fasting, and for weeping, and for mourning, and for prayer and supplication, and all I hear is revelry and feasting, and the killing of of animals and the eating of flesh, the drinking of wine and the making of merry, and the people saying, "Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we surely die." Well, I guess that's a good time for us to take a break, brothers and sisters. Thank you for uh, being with us, and uh, we'll be back with uh, more searching the scriptures with Benjamin Brew right after the break. Are you ready? Ride.
0: Grab your coffee and tune in each night at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific to the Omega Man Radio Network with your host, Shannon Ray Davis. Omega Man Radio is taking enemy territory for Jesus Christ, Yahshua preaching the gospel of the Messiah, and ministering in deliverance and miracle healing. Add some great guest interviews, and you have the recipe for fresh oil for the airwaves. Tune in at OmegaManRadio.com.
2: Praise the Lord, and we're back on Omega Man Radio. Let me get Benjamin Brook back on the line. Benjamin, are you back with me?
1: I am, Shannon. Thank you.
2: God bless you. That was uh, from the 70s. I think that was the old Calvary Chapel way back when. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Those were the good old days. Yeah, that was a beautiful time, wasn't it? Amen. Hey, Shannon, I hear you loud and clear. So, yeah. Well, praise, praise the Lord. If you want to participate in the second half of the show, um, you don't have to leave it all to me, because I think we do better when when you and I are both involved.
2: Well, I just give the Lord the praise, the honor, and the glory tonight. This is is just an awesome, awesome message that you're bringing tonight, Benjamin. And uh, we are late in the game. And and many are saying...
1: It's so late. (laughs) It's so late. We're here.
2: Actually...
1: You know, actually, really, um, you could look at it as we're late in the game of playing
2: church. Yes.
1: The game that was played these last so many years, where we played church together, and then we went out for coffee and pie afterwards, that game, pretty much, it's over. There's almost no time left on the clock, and the score is like 8,000 to zero. We lost that game. we got to stop playing that game. The game of... The true kingdom, the real game of the end-time move of the kingdom of God. That team is in the tunnel, ready to take the field, and we're about to have the kickoff.
2: This is the Super Bowl of the end times, isn't
3: it?
1: It is. It is. We are about to play the final game. We are about to witness the beginning of the final battle. The grand finale of a war that's been raging for six thousand years on this planet and the first act the first act the the fourth horse has been released the fourth horse has come and uh maybe we'll go to revelation real quick and
2: And you know uh in halftime i was uh, just chatting with some people in the chat room benjamin and uh you know many people are gripped by fear in this hour but i'm here to tell the people this is a time that we're called to report to the front lines. We're called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are perishing. We've been called to cast out devils in Jesus' name, heal the sick and be the salt of the earth. And how can we be the salt of the earth, the light on the hill, Benjamin, if we go and hide in a hole?
1: Well, not only that, but we were commanded to not fear. And so I would tell everybody, do not fear. And if fear is trying to come upon you, you need to do two things. Number one, you need to rebuke it, because fear is not of the Lord. The fear of man is not of the Lord. Amen. The fear of what man might do unto you is not of the Lord. So you need to rebuke it. You need to just say, fear, you know, take a hike in Jesus' name. Come against it in prayer, because fear has torment, and the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, peace, and a sound mind. At the same time... The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And whoever, if you've learned the fear of the Lord, you will stop fearing men. Now, what is coming upon the earth is truly terrifying. I understand. But the, the antidote for the fear of man is fasting. Don't be yes. afraid. Be fasting. Because fasting will put off, it'll break the bondage of the mind of the flesh, and it'll set your spirit free. And you'll begin to overcome these things like fear. And we're going to get into that towards the last part of the show. I'm going to talk a little bit more about the details of uh, fasting. But I want to read from Revelation 7. The fourth horse, the fourth seal has been broken. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was death. And hell followed after him. And power was given unto them over a fourth part of the earth. To kill with the sword, and with hunger, and with death, and with the beasts of the earth. And with the birds, that'll be summering, the beasts will be wintering. And the fourth seal has just been broken, and the first act of the fourth seal is set on the stage of Egypt. And the scriptures testify of it in Isaiah chapter 19, verse 1, and, and that's where we are right now. The burden of Egypt... And I've got to tell you, brothers and sisters, the Lord revealed this to me in the last week while I was diligently seeking His face in prayer and in fasting, and God began to open my eyes and, and just radical. Let me tell you, if you are obeying the Lord in this hour, and you are seeking Him diligently in prayer and in fasting, God is responding in radical ways. Now, if you're just a hearer of the Word only, which is really the Laodicean Gospel, we're just a very well-taught group of people. We don't walk in the Spirit. We don't do the Word. But we know the Word really well. Um, Then you're probably in confusion. And you're probably in fear. And you're probably striving. Because you're in the mind of the flesh. And the mind of the flesh is the mind of confusion. And mind of striving and it's you know it's trouble in this hour so uh stop being a hearer only be a doer get into the into what the lord is doing follow his instructions and and get into uh this end time move of the spirit because there's a there's a latter rain that's being poured out on the people who are seeking him with all their hearts and who are picking up their cross and who are denying their their self their flesh there's a latter day rain being poured out in this hour And there's a great salvation and a mighty deliverance coming. Be a part of it, my friends. Isaiah 19, the burden of Egypt. Well, it starts in Egypt. And and you've seen it. It's already begun. You see it on the television every night. The burden of Egypt. Behold, the Lord rides upon a swift cloud. Didn't it come fast? Haven't the the events in Egypt been moving fast? And he shall come into Egypt. And the idols of Egypt shall be moved at his presence. And the heart of Egypt shall melt in the midst of it. And I will set the Egyptians against the Egyptians. I mean, is that not literally happening on the television set right now? And they shall fight everyone against his brother, and everyone against his neighbor, city against city, kingdom against kingdom. They're having these, like, urban battles right now in Egypt. And they shall fight everyone against his brother. And the spirit of Egypt shall fail in the midst thereof. Their spirit is failing, and I will destroy the council thereof. And they shall seek to the idols and the charmers, and to them that have familiar spirits, and to the wizards. And the Egyptians will I give over to the hand of a cruel lord. This democracy that's coming for them, (laughs) it's going to be Islamic fascism. They thought Mubarak was bad. They're going to get a cruel lord now. There's not a deliverance coming through the flesh, friends. The flesh cannot deliver you, and the flesh will not deliver the Egyptians. Rather, a cruel Lord will be appointed over them. And a fierce king shall rule over them, says the Lord of hosts. And verse 5, the waters shall fail from the sea. Now, the waters here are talking about the economy. And, and I have to make, mention, um, perhaps a few weeks ago, I was waking and I heard um, an angel speak to me and say uh, these words which I, I did not comprehend at the time never even heard of this before the Falga River is down to 3.6 percent and is almost a dry creek and you know I marveled because I never heard of the Falga River and I had no idea what it meant what it was and uh, I'm not going to go into it Right here and now, other than to say it has to do with the economy, it has to do with the kingdom of man, it has to do with the golden bowl, and it has to do with the money system. It has to do with the liquidity of Wall Street and the liquidity of the current economy. And it is drying up. And the Falga River also has to do with the river Hades, the river Sheol, the river to Hades. It's the river of man as compared to the river of life. It's the river of death, and it's drying up, and it's almost a dry creek without any water. And in Isaiah, we are told that this water in Egypt will fail, and they shall turn the rivers far away, verse 6. I'm going to kind of just catch some highlights now. Verse 8, the fishers shall mourn. Verse 9, they that work in fine flax, and verse 10, they shall be broken in Purpose thereof. All that makes sluices in ponds for fish. We're talking about an economic collapse following this revolution. A, a cruel, fierce king, a fierce, oppressive Islamic government is coming to power in Egypt following this revolution. And the economy is going to collapse. And it, it will not recover. And ver- look at verse 15. Neither shall there be any work for Egypt which the head or the tail branch or rush may do a complete economic collapse, no jobs. Huh, kind of like the United States. Well, in the United States, unemployment is probably somewhere between 16 to 20%. This is a picture of, of widespread, almost complete unemployment, economic devastation. Following this Egyptian revolution, and, and the country today is practically shut down. The country has, for all practical purposes, ceased functioning, and uh, apparently uh, following this revolution the this cruel lord and fierce king that that will be obviously radical islamic um the economy's not going to recover and but you know there's there's actually a blessing in this harsh judgment that the lord is putting upon egypt and it's almost like a, a microcosm of what's about to come on the earth because this This fierce, cruel Lord that's going to be ruling over Egypt, which is followed by a complete devastation of the economy of Egypt. Uh, is sort of a picture of the Antichrist that's going to soon be ruling the earth, and the complete devastation that will follow quickly his rule over the earth. But um, there's some blessing coming for Egypt, and we're going to see that right now in the Scripture. Look at verse 18. In that day shall five cities in the land of Egypt speak the language of Canaan, and swear to the Lord of hosts. The the Egyptians are going to begin to turn to the Lord. One shall be called the city of destruction. I'm not sure perhaps an entire city will will be destroyed or in what way that will be fulfilled. Verse 19, In that day shall there be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt, and a pillar at the border thereof to the Lord. The Egyptians are going to begin to erect altars. They're going to put up an altar to the Lord. Look at verse 21. And the Lord shall be known to Egypt. God's going to, uh, let's go back to verse 20. Sorry, skipped it. And it shall be for a sign and for a witness unto the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. For they shall cry unto the Lord because of the oppressors. And he shall send them a Savior. See, in this hour, whoever cries, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord is saved. The Egyptians, through this purging process that has started with this uh, revolution against Mubarak, is going to end in this cruel government being appointed over them. Complete economic collapse is going to bring total suffering. And through the fire of this process, on the other side, there will be a people who are crying out to the Lord God of heaven, and the Lord shall send a Savior and a great one, and he shall deliver them. And the Lord shall be known to the Egyptians. And the Egyptians shall know the Lord in that day, and shall do sacrifice and oblation, that means offerings, Yes, and they shall vow vows unto the Lord and perform them, not just lip service, but serving the Lord. Look at verse 22, and the Lord shall smite Egypt, he shall smite it and heal it, and they shall return even to the Lord and shall be entreated, he shall be entreated of them and shall heal them. There is a salvation coming into the land of Egypt when they've turned and called upon the name of the Lord. And verse 24, in that day shall Israel be the third with Egypt and with Assyria. And there's a salvation following the judgment in Assyria. And even a blessing in the midst of the land. Whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people. And Assyria, the work of my hands. And Israel, my inheritance. Now, the Lord has spoken blessing over Egypt. Because they have turned from their own wicked ways through the fire. And the purging of this judgment that's upon the land of Egypt, there's actually going to be a salvation, redemption, and restoration. Amen. That's such a blessing. Let's um, let's go forward in the Book of Isaiah because I want to I want to leave you guys with some context on why we know these prophecies are last days prophecies. Why am I just I'm not just making this up, friends. There is a lot of confirming evidence that these chapters we're looking at pertain to the last days. Let's move. Um, chapter 20, if you care to read it, is dealing with how Isaiah had to walk naked as a captive and, and into captivity, and it's a picture of the captivity that's about to come upon the Church. I'm not going to go into that in detail. We'll leave that for another show. Let's go to Chapter 21. Um, this is, again, speaking to this hour. And it's the burden of the desert of the sea as whirlwinds in the south pass through, so it comes from the desert from a terrible land. A grievous vision is declared unto me. The treacherous dealer deals treacherously, and the spoiler spoils. Go up, O Elam, besiege, O Midia, all the sighing thereof have I made to cease. Therefore are my loins filled with pain. Pain has taken hold of me as the pain of a woman that travails. Oh, yes, we are in travail now. The woman of Revelation 12 is indeed beginning to travail in the birth pains of the kingdom. I was bowed down at the hearing of it. Yes, if you hear this report, if you can actually hear what I'm saying, it will bow you down. I was dismayed at the seeing of it. Yes, when you see what I'm saying come to pass. You will become very dismayed. Your heart will pant. Fearfulness will affright you. The night of your pleasure will he turn into fear unto you, unless you have already died to your flesh. And then you will not be afraid of men. But for most who are still walking in the flesh, yes, a time of great fear and terror is coming. Verse 5 Prepare the table, watch in the watchtower, eat, drink, arise, you princes and anoint the shield. For thus has the Lord said unto me, Go, set a watchman, let him declare what he sees. And he saw a chariot with a couple of horsemen, a chariot of asses and a chariot of camels.
3: And he hearkened diligently
1: with much heed. And he cried, A lion, my Lord. I stand continually upon the watchtower in the daytime, and I am set in my ward whole nights. Friends, that's kind of one of my personal scriptures. Because that's been my life these last 12 years. The Lord said unto me, go as a watchman. Go up onto my wall and watch. And I saw a lion. There's a lion coming. The lion emerges from the thicket. And the destroyer of the Gentiles is on his way. I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. With the head of a lion, the body of a leopard, and the feet of a bear. bear. The lion is a picture of the Antichrist, who be the he's the destroyer of the Gentiles. The lion has emerged from the thicket. You know, the lion is a very crafty beast. It crouches in the grass, it stalks its prey subtly, silent, getting closer and closer to the goal, and the prey is unaware, oblivious to the danger. Comes ever closer until the lion is close enough to pounce and at the point where the lion has got close enough to its goal it then stands out of the grass frozen eyeing its prey but it's now appearing for all to see before it moves and that's the moment we're in right now the lion has stood up from the grass and if you're if you're any bit awake you can see this lion kingdom, this, this new world order, this global totalitarian system, this super-corporate fascist police state that's being formed. This is the lion standing up from the grass, and it's ready to roll. And I stood continually upon the watchtower in the daytime and in my ward all the night. And I can tell you, the ones that the Lord has called as watchmen for this hour... And I was one of them. I have been in my ward. I have been watching continually in the daytime. And in my ward all night long. We have been watching continually around the clock, day in, day out, for weeks, for months, for years. And now we're crying out a lion. A lion. And behold, here come a couple of chariot of men. The word for couple is with a couple of horsemen. The word for couple is two. Here comes two men. Two horsemen have come. I see two horsemen coming in the distance. And what's the report that comes back from headquarters? Babylon has fallen. Has fallen. And all the graven images of her gods have been broken unto the ground. O oh, my threshing, and the corn of my threshing floor, that which I have heard of the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have I declared unto you. Now, friends, the watchman is now seeing the Antichrist kingdom come into power, along with the false prophets, the two riders. Jimi Hendrix talked about this in his song, All Along the Watchtower. Two riders were approaching, and the wind began to howl. Well, the wind is howling now, my friends. And the weather is storming now. And the earth is reeling and shaking now. And nations are beginning to shake. The kingdoms are beginning to tremble. and The very he- power of the heavens are being cast down now. You can see two riders approaching false messiah and a false prophet are coming for the final deception of humanity. And at the same time, we are told Babylon is fallen. Babylon has already fallen. The Antichrist kingdom comes to power after the fall of Babylon America. It's past tense. Remember I told you at the beginning of the show, all prophetic word is revealed or fulfilled twice. So the Mystery Kingdom Babylon, the final kingdom of Babylon, is actually judged twice. How is that possible? Well, it's judged first in the judgment of the United States of America, which takes place in the next two years, 2011-2012. It's completed by the fall of 2012, at which time America lies in, in ruins. Her cities are smoldering, rub- you know, piles of rubble. Most of her citizens are dead. Her remnant is desolate and huddling together under the shelter of the hand of the Lord. And then two riders come unto the world scene and quickly erect a one-world government. But Babylon, Babylon, is already fallen. And oh, my threshing, and the corn of my floor. The word for threshing means a downtrodden people, the people of the threshing floor. Oh, of the people the people of the threshing floor. That which I have heard of the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have I declared unto you? Have I declared unto you? What of the night? The burden of Duma, Isaiah 21, verse 11, he calls calls to me out of Mount Seir. Watchman, what of the night? Watchman, what of the night? And the watchman said, the morning comes, and also the night. And if you will, inquire, inquire, return, come. Now, this is interesting, brothers and sisters. I, I, I mention this for a reason. I remember I told you that the, the word for evening and morning, Erev and Bokar, represent the timing of, uh, of the day, the evening and the morning representing the beginning and the end of the day. Here we're talking about the night it's a different meaning than the evening and they're not to be confused because the word for night is la yala and it means the twisting adversity that is the night season what of the twisted what of that which is adverse what of that which is corrupt what of the adversity? What if the night and the watchman answers, the morning comes, the dawn comes, the breaking, the break comes. The break is about to begin. You know, Shannon, I remember back when um, you and I, we were, we first met and um, the Lord sent those two angels into my bedroom. And they sounded like trumpets. They, they, Well, they didn't just sound like trumpets. They were, tru- they were trumpeting. They blew trumpets. On, and it was on each side of my bed. And I was awake. I woke up, and, and it was before the morning. It was still dark. It was about 4 a.m. And it was still black. as The night, the adversity was still covering the earth, the deep darkness, the mind of the people. And I heard these angels trumpet. And yet the trumpets made words. They literally spoke as a trumpet. Heard the trumpet blast, and the blast of the trumpet was in words, but yet it sounded like a trumpet, trumpeting away. And the, the angel said, the first trumpet said, Do you know what time it is? And then the next angel on the other side of the bed trumpeted and answered and said, It is time for the light of the morning to break through and That's this hour. Amen. That word that those angels brought is speaking prophetically to this hour in 2011. Sometime this year, the breakthrough, the in-breaking, the the break-in that occurred at Baal Parazim. When the Lord broke in on the people, the breakthrough's about to come. The light's about to break in, people. The break is coming, and the word for morning is um, the breaking of the day, the light of the morning, the early morning, in general, a morning, the time of morning is coming. And isn't it interesting in the English language how words in English have such a parallel meaning to their meaning in the Hebrew. You know, the word for mourning also means mourn, as in wailing. And this morning, this breaking that's coming in America this year is a time of wailing. I want to leave us... um, I want to leave Isaiah. We're going to just go to one more section. We're going to go over to Isaiah 24, and don't worry, we will come back over everything that we've passed over brothers and sisters, because there's just so much here in Isaiah that that I want to share with you. And this is all um, things that the Spirit has been impressing on me relatively recently. It's amazing how much the Lord can hide in His Word, and yet when He brings it out, it's just profound. I want to go to Isaiah 24. I, I want to answer, if any of our listeners are questioning, you know, what is what in the world is Benjamin talking about? What? Why does he think these are last days prophecies? I want to show you in chapter 24, and then there are other places we'll see again in subsequent shows. These prophecies in Isaiah are definitely talking about the last days prophecy and the judgment of the entire earth. Let's just look at Isaiah 24 as one of the proofs. Behold, the Lord makes the earth empty, and he makes it wasted, and he turns it upside down. I think that's a pole shift that's coming, and he scatters abroad the inhabitants thereof. Most people are leaving the country they live in, and it shall be as with the people. So with the priest. I guess you don't get out of this if you're a Pharisee. As with the servant, so with the master. Neither are the elite excluded. As with the maid, so with the mistress. The buyer, the seller. The lender, the borrower. The giver and taker of usury. And the land shall be utterly emptied and utterly spoiled, for the Lord has spoken this word. Has that ever happened before? I think not. The earth mourns and fades away. The world languishes and fades away. The haughty people of the earth do languish. Isn't that this generation? The haughty people of the earth do languish. These people are the most haughty. And the word for haughty isn't marom. It means attitude, elevated, lifted up, dignified. We are people of dignity. We are proud. We are, we are high and lifted up in our own eyes. Oh, yeah. The haughty people of the earth do languish. And that languish means... That word for languish means mourn. <laughs> There's that mourning again. You just can't get away from that breaking in of the morning, can you? It's just everywhere around us. And the earth also is defiled. Yeah. So much for the haughty people. And the word means... Corrupted morally, polluted, profane, greatly defiled. The earth, the actual ground, is defiled because of the immorality, because of the blood of the innocents that have poured out on this land, because of all the sins and curses spoken. The earth has become defiled under the inhabitants. Under your feet, the ground is cursed unless you have Redeemed it, And I would suggest to our listeners, brothers and sisters, pray over your land. Remit the sins. Repent of the sins committed on your ground. Repent of your sin. Repent of your generational sin. Repent of your family bloodline sin. Repent of everything around the the ground on which you dwell. Plead the blood of Jesus and remit the sin. Remit the curse. And declare the land blessed and consecrated to the Lord again. Lest this curse continue to dwell in your dwelling... And you continue to be affected by it because this curse that's come through the defilement of the land is causing the inhabitants to grieve. I mean, it just brings with it heaviness because the earth has been defiled. And and it's also because they have transgressed the law. The earth is defiled because the inhabitants have transgressed the law. And the word for transgress, the law, the word for law is the Torah. It's the commandments. It's the actual written scripture. The people of the earth are simply disregarding the word of God. They're transgressing it. And it, it just means to just do away with, to make it illegal. I mean, we're taking the Ten Commandments down from all our public places. People, people don't care what it says in scripture anymore. We just disregard it. We transgress it. And we've changed the ordinances. Now, it's different to transgress. To change means we've actually altered. So we're disregarding the written word, and we're altering the ordinances. Well, well, what are the ordinances? Well, the ordinances are the, the appointments. They're the commandments. They're the customs. They're the decrees. They're the tasks. The things the Lord, the tasks the Lord gave us. They're the, if you will, the oral commandments. We're we're changing those. We've changed the gospel. We've changed the message of the gospel. We have a whole new gospel. We got a new gospel and, and we got new Bibles too. Yeah. For a new age, for a whole new man. And oh the heaviness thereof. So we transgressed the law, we literally threw God's word out, we've ignored his, his, the, the message of the gospel, we've ignored the meaning of the, of the gospel, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, which is the kingdom of God coming into your life, which includes you walking in the kingdom. We've turned it into the kingdom of Laodicea, where all you do is have to hear about the kingdom. We get together and we learn about the kingdom. We don't actually live in the kingdom. We just read about the kingdom. And one day, by, on a day by gone by, we'll be in the kingdom. But until then, we're staying in our flesh, and we're staying in our compromise, and we're staying in our sin, and we're staying in our transgression of his law. Because we don't have to be legalistic. We've got grace. We can do whatever we want. We've got grace. We don't have to actually obey the Lord. When God calls for prayer and fasting, we can just we, we just sort of listen to it and go, "Well, that's nice." Yeah, I, you know, I think someone ought to fast. You know, someone out there, somewhere. You know, we don't need to actually obey. We can we can pick and choose whatever scriptures we want, and that can become our gospel. And the last thing, the defilement of the earth occurred because of the curse and the sin because we actually threw away the Torah, we threw away the Bible. We disregarded the true meaning of the new covenant. We we changed the gospel into this last days apostasy. And then lastly, and not least, we broke the everlasting covenant. And I would I would leave all of our listeners a homework assignment I would ask you, search the scriptures and see if you can discern what the everlasting covenant is. See if you can find it in the word of God. It seems to me that it's pretty important because it's one of the three reasons that the Lord is going to destroy the entire planet. Because we've ignored the Torah. All right, well, that's easy to fix. Stop ignoring the Bible. If God said it in his word, you take it serious. Now, get it confirmed. Make sure you're applying it contextually to the circumstances of your life with wisdom. Seek many, you know, seek confirmation and witness by the Spirit. But you take the word of God very seriously. So we can fix that one. You know, we can stop transgressing the. Bible, the Torah, by just paying attention. And, you know, they changed the the ordinance. They changed the teaching of of the New Covenant, of the Good News. Well, then go back to the true meaning of Scripture. You can search that one out as well, just by thoroughly being a good Berean in the Word of God. But what about this Everlasting Covenant? How did we break the Everlasting Covenant? I've asked a thousand believers. When I show them this scripture, do you know what the everlasting covenant is? I have yet to find one that can tell me the answer. And yet, it is the everlasting covenant of the kingdom of God. It is the central covenant. It is the first covenant. And within the everlasting covenant, all covenants are contained. And yet, the people of this final generation decided, hey, why not? If we're going to throw the Word of God out of our life, and we're going to rewrite the New Testament teachings, the good news, the doctrines of salvation, and the doctrines of the kingdom, we're going to rewrite them according to our own imagination. We might as well just break the everlasting covenant while we're at it. And so we just shattered it. It's busted into pieces on the ground. And for that reason, the Lord God Almighty is going to destroy the entire earth the earth is defiled look at verse 6 therefore has the curse devoured the earth and they that dwell therein are desolate therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned there's a burning coming folks have you ever been burned I have I, I had pretty severe burn at one point oh man I, I really don't want to be burned again um, being burned is that's serious And few men left. And, um, you know, that word for few, uh, it means very few, uh, very diminished. um, Not many left. Verse 10, the city of confusion is broken down. Verse 13, when thus it shall be in the midst of the land among the people, there shall be as the shaking of an olive tree and as the gleaning grapes when the vintage is done. Yeah, those, that gleaning, you know, that's the remnant that's left. Oh. Then sh- they shall lift up their voice. The remnant will. They shall sing for the majesty of the Lord. They shall cry aloud from the sea. Oh, hallelujah. Wherefore, glorify the Lord in the fire. Even the name of the Lord God of Israel in the islands of the sea. From the uttermost part of the earth we heard songs. Even glory to the righteous. But I said, my leanness, my leanness, woe unto me. The treacherous dealers have dealt treacherously. The treacherous dealers, are we talking about the government, have dealt very treacherously. Fear and the pit and the snare are upon you, O inhabitant of the earth. Oh, yeah. Listen, friends. Brothers and sisters, yes, we've got fire upon us. We got fire coming. Oh, hallelujah. We're going to be purified in the fire. He told you, I chose you in the furnace of affliction. So, you know, into the furnace we go. Glorify the Lord in the fire. That is part of the trial. That is part of the test. God is looking to accomplish a couple of things from this fire. Number one, he wants to burn all the flesh and all the dross out of your life. Number two, he wants to set you free from all the, the snares and the yokes that have bound you up to the things of the flesh and the things that are sinful that still have rule in your life. God's going to burn those right out of you. Number three, he wants to burn holy faith into you. And number four, he wants to get you to a position where you are praising his name by faith and are full of joy even in the midst of the fire Itself, because you see through faith that it came to pass, it didn't come to stay. And you know what God's doing is working His righteousness in you. And you are thanking Him for the outcome that is coming. Let me tell you, this fire that's coming, it's going to burn holiness into us. It's going to burn goodness into us. And it is a cause for rejoicing. And so you will hear songs, glory to the righteous. But at the same time, leanness, leanness of soul will be experienced in the flesh. But as for the world, oh my, they don't have anything to... They don't have any good news. To the world who are outside of the covenant, fear. Oh, fear shall come upon them like they've never known. And the pit and the snare are upon the inhabitant of the earth... 19, the earth is utterly broken down. The earth is clean dissolved. The earth is moved exceedingly. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunk and be removed. And the transgression thereof shall be heavy upon it, and it shall fall and not rise again. Verse 23. And the moon shall be confounded, and the sun ashamed, when the Lord of hosts shall reign in Mount Zion, and in Jerusalem before his ancients gloriously. That's the second coming. By verse 23, we are given a picture of the literal second coming of Jesus Christ. The moon has been darkened, the sun does not give its light, because the Lord has now come back, and he's actually in Jerusalem, reigning, and he's standing before his ancient ones in all his glory. Hallelujah. We will continue with chapter 25 where Israel begins to rejoice, we'll go into chapter 25 in detail, which talks about the deliverance of a woman who's fleeing from the beast, God's protection of his people during the hour that's coming. But, you know, verse 1, I just got to read it because I love it so. O Lord, thou art my God, and I will exalt thee. I will praise thy name for that you have done wonderful things unto me. Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. For you have made a city a heap of rubble.
2: Mm, many mighty
1: cities are going to be rubble heaps soon. And a defense city, a ruin, a palace of strangers. that will be no city. It shall never be built again. Therefore shall the strong nation glorify you, and the city of terrible nations shall fear you. Oh, yes. America. Land of the free. Home of the brave. Yeah. We're number one. Number one. The strongest nation. We're the world's superpower. Yeah. Yeah. Soon the fear of the Lord shall be visited upon you, O most proud. Thou, O most proud, soon the fear of the Lord shall come upon you, and none shall deliver you. We'll stop right there in terms of uh, our study in Isaiah. And um, Brother Shannon, we're good to go if we uh, go past um, two hours a little bit.
2: Amen. Uh, would you like to take a break?
1: Um, yeah, let's take a quick break, and then we're going to come back with um, some more. Uh, Amen.
2: After. Praise God. Uh, you're listening to uh, Benjamin Brook tonight. This is a live program. We're going to take a break and we're going to be uh, right back here in about five or six minutes. God bless everybody who's been tuning in.
0: Hear the word of God Almighty from Numbers, chapter 33 verse 50. And Yahweh spake unto Moses in the plains of Moab by Jordan near Jericho, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When ye are passed over Jordan into the land of Canaan, then ye shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you and destroy all their pictures and destroy all their molten images and quite pluck down all their high places and ye shall dispose Possess the inhabitants of the land and dwell therein, for I have given you the land to possess it. is declaring all-out war on all witches, warlocks, and the hosts of hell. Our mandate is clear. We will not fail. Join with us in the fight and spread the word about Omega Man Radio. Our mission is to invade enemy territory and possess the land, healing the sick and setting the captives free of demons in Jesus' name. Tune in each night at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific at OmegaManRadio.com
4: in the name of Jesus Christ, we put you on notice. We bind you, you wicked power, We come against you from the third heaven. I'm seated in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus, high above you, high above principalities, powers, thrones, dominions, high above world rulers, kings, princes, and every angelic rank. And in the name of Jesus Christ, we rebuke and bind you, and especially we bind you concerning the lives the minds and the bodies of these people who stand here. We rebuke you and every foul spirit that may still have a resting place somewhere in their uh, innermost being. We bind them. For these people have heard the call of God to dedicate and consecrate themselves to God, and you must flee and your host must be defeated utterly. We come against you in the name of Jesus Christ, and we bind every foul and wicked spirit that would bind body, mind, soul, any area of their life to keep it from being effective for the Lord. We bind you in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you and we loose on these people the spirits of power, love, sound mind. We loose the spirit of wisdom, revelation. We will loose the spirit of courage. We loose the spirits of power over the enemy. And we loose all the spirits of God to do their office work in and through these people as they go forth. Moreover, we loose the spirit of Elijah to break the power of Jezebel on our land. And in the name of Jesus Christ, we ask you, Lord, uh, to loose the spirit of humility, the spirit of servanthood on everyone here. Let everyone be desirous of taking the place of a servant. In the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for
2: it. Amen, and welcome back to Mega Man Radio Network. This is a live program. Let me get uh, Benjamin Brug back on the line. Benjamin, are you back with me?
1: I'm right here.
2: Praise the Lord, brother. The microphone is yours.
1: All right, all right. Well, hallelujah. So we've been looking at uh, the book of Isaiah. We've been looking at prophecies, the uh, judgment that's coming upon the United States. The warning in Chapter 18, and then the the next event after the warning of America, of America's soon judgment, we see the the judgment begin in Egypt. And, And that's the point that we're at in terms of world history. We are in Isaiah 19, and the fourth horseman of the apocalypse, the fourth seal, is now open. The events that we are witnessing in the Middle East, On our televisions, every day, every night, are the beginning of the events of the breaking of the fourth seal of the Book of Revelation, which will ultimately culminate in World War III. It will culminate in the War of Ezekiel, chapter 38 and 39, the Battle of Ezekiel, the last day's invasion of Israel by the communists and the Arab alliances, which is also known by the people of the earth as World War three that is what is begun with this re- revolution in Egypt and I want to share with our listeners this is a uh, secular information this is the information from uh, um, secular sources highly credible this is very highly credible information from a very highly credible source and and um, If you quote this, I would prefer you not to use my name. This came anonymously, and I'm going to share it with you. Please share it on the same terms if you pass this on. This is an update of what's really happening in Egypt. The social chaos and growing revolution in the Middle East was in reality triggered by a massive spike in the price of food and grain in that region in the last six months. And you know the financial collapse... Which was an, a judgment. The financial collapse of this country was a judgment. It's, if you want to go to these judgments, they're all in Ezekiel chapter 14. The first one is the breaking of the staff of bread, the judgment of the economy. This is just one more fallout of God's judgment on the world's economic system. Is now the currencies are being debased. We're seeing food prices escalate, and in third world countries, where the world's poor live, in large. Pers- populations, large percentages of the population are poor. Huge increases in the price of food translate not into poverty, but into death. They translate into starvation. And they translate into revolution. So, there was a huge price shock in the price of food in the Middle East in the last six months, and that's really the match that lit this fire. That was the spark that set the kindling ablaze. Last fall, We had a series of crop failures. We had drought damage, weather damage to major grain-producing regions around the world. We had fires in Russia last summer. We had floods in Australia. You guys watch the news. You know the world's weather spinning out of control is one of more of the signs of the times in which we live. But in addition to, and that put pressure on the world's grain markets because grain reserves, the stockpile of inventory worldwide is at, perhaps the lowest level ever, and there's pressure been put on price just from supply constraints, but there's also pressure from inflation that's also pushing price. And then then the crowning event last fall, both Ukraine and Russia unilaterally stopped all grain shipments to the Middle East, and they are major grain suppliers for the region. And the official explanation cited was the uh, fires that damaged much of the Russian harvest, in addition to bureaucratic mistakes in uh, managing the grain distribution, um, a series of system problems, you know, train derailments, you know, a litany of excuses, uh, a series of bureaucratic mistakes, all of them the official cause of the the suspension, disruption of grain shipments from Russia and Ukraine to the Middle East. The truth is, The decision was made in Moscow, and the purpose was to destabilize the pro-Western democracies in the region. The Russian strategy is primarily focused against the Western governments, the uh, governments in the Middle East that are allies or support the United States. The purpose of the grain embargo was to destabilize those governments and to isolate the United States from their Middle Eastern allies. Um, for years, Russian defectors have warned the West that Russian military planners viewed both grain and oil as export weapons. In third-world countries, 40% or more of the population lives at or below the poverty level. A sharp spike in the food or energy cost for them is devastating. And the Egyptian economy was in tatters to begin with. The price of food... That inflation in food pushed it over the edge and of course you know a few sympathizers and organizers on the ground is all it takes to take a group of unemployed and hungry people and get them into the streets the events we are now witnessing in the arab world are part of a strategy against the west it's an actual plan that's been developed and this is the what's called the gray terror portion and it's a strategy that includes disinformation It's got many facets. It includes a disinformation campaign um, against the West, particularly against the United States, to erode the trust of the American people in their own government, to divide the country along any number of lines, racial, political. Uh, The the great terror campaign is to destabilize us economically, to alienate us from our allies, to divide us internally, and to divide us from our own government so that when confronted with a crisis, the United States would be anything but united. The WikiLeaks disclosures are just one example of this great terror in operation. Assange is a Russian asset. The leaks have all been designed to discredit the West, but primarily to discredit the United States. And, you know, what's interesting is the reaction of the U.S. government, particularly the administration in Washington, to the crisis has already frightened most of our other third world allies. We're doing the job for them. The the way that we responded by calling for democracy, which really means Islamic revolution. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Democracy in an Arab country looks like Iran. We did this already in 1979, when the Shah was deposed and Jimmy Carter wanted human rights, you know, the the Shah of Iran had a pro-Western, fascist police state and so Jimmy Carter came out and removed American support and and we threw our support behind the forces of democracy and we ended up with the Ayatollah Khomeini and our own embassy being captured and our Americans being taken as prisoners and hostages for almost a year a little over a year that's what democracy looks like in the Middle East the Muslim Brotherhood is moving quickly on the ground and As we read in the scripture, a cruel ruler and a very wicked king is coming. An intensely evil Islamic empire is going to rise out of this Egyptian revolution. And our reaction in calling for democracy is, it's like telling Mubarak, you know, here's a rope, we'll pay for the rope, you put it on your neck. And at the same time, we frighten most of our third world allies. If we'll throw Mubarak under the bus, what alliance will we honor? So now they are all scrambling to seek uh, some kind of uh, closer ties to the communists. The conservative governments of Europe are also opening, openly discussing the need to enter into closer alliances with Russia. Due in part to their growing energy dependence on Moscow, you know, Europe receives much of its natural gas on pipelines from the Ukraine. They're energy dependent to the communists and to the Russians. In addition, the conservative elements within Europe see a need to take a hard line on their internal Muslim problem, and the problem in Europe is it's huge. I don't want to go into the details, but it's huge, and the, the conservative alliance in Europe wants to take a hard line on a Muslim minority that is out of control and literally trying to destroy the culture of Europe from within. And they fear that they, have, uh, they cannot take a hard line on their Muslim problem with the United States as a close ally, because, you know, we're so politically correct today. Our enemies just have to have all their rights. So it's pushing even Europe away from us. And further and finally, the Europeans see the need to begin to distance themselves from the United States to prevent further damage to their economy as the United States attempts to save itself financially by exporting its losses to its allies and its trading partners through what we call quantitative easing, which is really just printing more money. You know, the United States is insolvent. We we are in the process of collapsing financially. And the final strategy, the great strategy in this last hour of America, is we're just going to print a lot of paper money. Well, you know, we used to laugh at banana republics that did that because it never works. You, you, you can't create wealth by printing paper money. And yet... You know, countries that, are, that have no other option, you know, in desperation, that's the final option. They destroy their currency. Uh, that's where the United States is. And, you know, some would say, well, you know, they're really stupid. Others would say, well, I don't think they're stupid. I think they're pursuing a different agenda than the one they're telling you publicly. I think instead of being stupid, they're just simply lying to you. You know, if you believed them in the first place, you might... Let me actually reconsider who was stupid in the process here. Um, I think it's incredibly genius the way they've taken America apart at the seams. But the Europeans understand the United States is a ship that is sinking, and they want to distance themselves. They do not want to go down with the ship. They don't want to absorb another trillion dollars of American losses. They don't want to have to continue to import our uh, quantitative eased money. And so the move towards Russia has begun both within our allies in the third world as well as our allies in Europe, and we are being isolated. And it's all part of the gray terror and the strategy of isolating America and then also dividing her internally. The revolutionary wave now beginning in the Arab world is going to be pushed along with a goal of overturning all of the pro-Western governments in the key oil-producing states. Oh, we come back to the oil again. It's always about the oil. The end game is to create a radicalized Islamic region. We call it democracy. Reality will witness a radicalized Islamic religion covering those states. It will be hostile to the United States, and it will be hostile to Israel, and it will be pro-Russia, and it will come under the dominion of Iran. Egypt has the largest military in the Middle East. With the Egyptian military bogged down with the internal strife of this revolution, they will be in no position to help their neighbors when when the chaos spreads into adjacent countries. The plan includes the collapse of Saudi Arabia and several more Gulf states by the end of the summer. The new Islamic states will then be a majority in OPEC. And they will compel OPEC to stop accepting payment for oil in U.S. dollars later this year. That one action will drive the nail in the coffin of the dollar as the world's reserve currency, sending shockwaves through the U.S. financial system. Because the United States must import oil to keep its economy running, once the major oil producers refuse to accept dollars, period, we're going to have to buy euros or other foreign currencies. And we can't just print money anymore to pay for our imports. We actually have to earn money or exchange money in a legitimate transaction, value for value. The counterfeiting presses will no longer be used to extort the wealth of the world. The nail will be in the coffin. The American economy will be in a state of collapse. This action the elimination of oil is the international currency for for the elimination of the dollar is the world's international currency for oil transactions, will be coordinated with massive selling of U.S. dollars at the same time in the international currency markets by both the Arab states that have now banned the dollar, along with our good friends in China that hold about a trillion of them, forcing a collapse of the dollar on the international exchange, and causing the cost of U.S. imports to explode, bringing a sudden inflation to the United States. Now, let me stop there. Some of you have heard the propaganda. You've heard the talking heads. I call them the court jesters of Babylon on those infomercials they call the business news that are really infomercials for the beast system. You've heard them say China can't sell their dollars. Because China would lose money. And I tell you that is an absolute lie. There's a thing called hedging where, you know, if China knew that they were going to destroy the dollar on a certain day, at a certain point in time in the future, China could actually make money on that transaction, on that event, because they could sell U.S. debt, U.S. bonds, U.S. stocks. They could buy put options, they could take a financial position betting against the United States that would be larger in size than their treasury holdings or their dollar holdings, to where they would actually earn a financial profit by collapsing the United States. And it would be an easy trade to do. I could put that trade on. That would be a fun trade. Massive short position against a bull market that won't stop, because when the dollar drops, interest rates are going to rise. The stock market will crash. And I mean crash. We're talking Dow 3000 here, folks. The bond market will crash. Yeah. 40% loss in bonds. 70% loss in stocks. The dollar itself will crash. 50 to 70% loss in U.S. dollars. The economy will crash. This is going to wipe out what was left of the economy in America. It'll just be a basket case. The pension plans will be wiped out. They're already underwater by trillions of dollars. What do you think is going to happen when the stock and the bond market have crashed and we go back to real interest rates because suddenly we've got to borrow money from real lenders. We can't just print it anymore. It'll be a catastrophe. It'll be a catastrophe. The death of the dollar will cause widespread upheaval in civil life within the United States, sparking civil unrest, riots, as well as armed insurrection. It'll look like Egypt, folks. In certain parts of the United States, it's going to look like Greece around the United States. There's going to be riots. The primary motivator for the riots will be hyperinflation of food prices. Food's going to explode. Now, people want to debate well, what do you mean by hyperinflation? Just say prices are going to go up a lot, okay? Not a little. It's a term of art, it's not a precise term. We're talking gasoline, five bucks, six bucks, then maybe ten bucks, twenty bucks a gallon. You know, food prices two, three, four times as expensive. Your money no good. Your savings, you know, seventy percent loss in the value of your savings. Seventy percent loss in the value of your stock portfolio, and then the dollars that it are are worth are seventy percent less as well. So you really lost ninety. Ninety nine percent loss in your stocks in terms of real purchasing power. But don't worry. They're going to enact currency controls to make sure that no real money gets out of the country so, you know, so we can take all of that to you know, share with everyone. So if you've got any real money left in America, don't worry. We're going to be socially just, and we're going to take it from you, all of it, and we're going to feed it to the poor. It ought to feed everybody for about 30 minutes, and then, and then the starvation will rage on it we will be talking about inflation of food prices, massive layoffs, the collapse of the dollar-based banking system. This economic collapse will be so intense there are going to be electric, electrical power outages around the country lasting for days. Okay. Rolling blackouts. Empty food shelves in city stores. Worthless government food vouchers. You know, food stamps aren't going to buy any, much, if anything, at all. These will kindle the flames. And at the onset of the crisis, coincidentally, North Korea will increase tension on its border with the South and will be on the verge of war. All the pots in the kitchen will be boiling. China today is moving troops into North Korea, while Russia has mobilized her Far East military district and is already on a war footing, getting ready for the summer. You know, all the actors and gestures are here the stage has been set and it's all clear we're just waiting for the curtain to drop thus we'll end act 1 of what is called the overture in official in the official documents sometime this summer act 1 will be concluded and the us economy will be in shambles we will be ready then for a brief intermission we'll take a brief intermission in the show and we will wait for Act Two of the Overture, which is expected to come probably this fall. Act Two is far more aggressive than Act One. Where Act One ends with a bang, Act Two begins with a bang. Act One ends with the collapse of the U.S. financial markets and the economy, literally the bottom falling out from our economy and us literally falling into a, the greatest of depressions and absolute chaos. Within our nation, Act Two is an even bigger boom. Seven cities will be hit with what will look like Islamic terrorism. It'll have the signature. This event will have the signature of al-Qaeda all over it. The cities are LA, New York, Chicago, D.C., Las Vegas, Houston, In Philadelphia. Now, these were previously announced by al-Qaeda. That's one of the reasons it's going to have the fingerprints of al-Qaeda, because these cities have already been announced publicly. Philadelphia is the birthplace of American democracy. That's why it's on the list. Houston is the home of ex-president George Bush. This will appear to have been a retaliation against him in his leading the war against Islamic terrorism when this all started back in 2001. Las Vegas is Sin City. And thus, these three cities are part of this list to help create the Islamic signature on the event. Three million Americans will die in these seven cities. Some instantly, most over the following two weeks from severe burns and radiation exposure. You recall earlier in the show, I told you fire was coming and that a burning was coming to America. America and that a great mourning was coming, and that there would be wailing and mourning in the land of America this year. This report would confirm that. The attack will be blamed on Islamic terrorists, but the execution will be in the hands of Russian Spetsnik Commandos. The economy within the United States will grind to a halt. Within days, there will be no food in the stores, no commerce. Sort of like Egypt today. The economy will literally stop. No banks will be open, no grocery stores, no food shipments. And there will be now food shipments for two, perhaps three months before the economy even begins to recover. These weapons are already here, having been smuggled onto U.S. soil. And this attack on our country is a diversionary strike. This is the diversion Designed to look like terrorism, to bring the United States to its knees, and to ensure that we will be unable to respond when outright military hostilities commence in the next two years. This is merely the diversion, folks. The main event awaits us. This first attack will seal the deal. Russia will then come to our aid (laughs) as our protector. Yeah. (laughs) The wolf will come to the sheep's aid. They will then wait and watch the disintegration of our society and wait for the appropriate time for the commencement of Act Three. Civil unrest will erupt. Civil war is possible in parts of the country. Eighty percent of the budget of the KGB over the last several years, has been spent on disinformation campaigns in the United States. The objective was to divide to divide our country along multiple lines and to create distrust in our federal government. There are numerous right-wing groups that are on the Internet, that are on TV, that are promulgating information that discredits our federal government that is actually disinformation of Russian origin. And no doubt all of us have heard and and perceived probably some of this disinformation. The purpose of this is to discredit the federal government so that the country will become defenseless. Only the federal government can mount an organized national response to a foreign enemy. If people don't trust our federal government, we will not be able to respond as one country. And the campaign of disinformation has been highly effective. When the crisis and the chaos comes... Americans will be at each other's throats. The Overture Plan has been known for years. It's been reported to U.S. authorities. Several defecting Russian agents have been debriefed with by our intelligence agencies, and by the DOD. They are aware of this information. This information has been reported and disclosed. is nothing new. The Obama administration, however, is clueless. They respond with anger rejecting outright any information which contradicts their sophomoric worldview. And mid-level officials within our various agencies no longer even report the truth to the senior officials in our government agencies. They are either compromised, working for the shadow government, or so prejudiced by their liberal preconceptions, they have no tolerance for the truth. When presented with any information on the hostile intent of these communist nations against us, they refuse to even consider the reports. In fact, these reports, any report that dispels the deception is assumed to be a lie. Any information that comes forward now that dispels the deceptions of this hour is just assumed to be a lie and a provocation and an intentional insult resulting in the messenger being fired none of our leaders can see the reality of what is facing our country there is no longer any truth in the reports that are being submitted from the field the agents in the field no longer submit true candid reporting to the senior officials it's too dangerous they don't want to hear it they're not going to believe it why would you say it the truth is now politically incorrect In the United States, the Overture plan, in summary, is a destabilization of of the dollar, along with the U.S. economy, coupled with a wave of actions designed to discredit the United States and to overturn key US US, U.S. allies, key U.S. allies in the Middle East and around the world, bringing about a crisis in the dollar, leaving the United States weakened isolated, and on its own, followed by a massive terrorist strike designed to look like Islamic terrorism, to devastate the economy, and throw us into a time of absolute collapse. And then our enemies will watch and wait for the appropriate hour, and Act 3 will begin. And the delay is to wait until we are at a point where we will be unable to mount a serious defense. At that point, and expected before the fall of 2012, all-out nuclear war will commence. Russian submarines will launch an attack on the major cities of the coastland, which will be followed by a ground invasion of the U.S. mainland. Chinese troops, numbering in the several million, will be offloaded into Long Beach and San Diego Harbor. Russian forces will take Alaska. Russian commandos will airdrop into the central valleys of California and along the Pacific Northwest coastline. Mexican, Cuban, and Nicaraguan troops will surge across the southern borders, sweeping across the eastern seaboard. The Chinese forces will move along the I-10 corridor and surge into the heartland. The mountainous regions of Idaho and Montana will be circumvented, isolated and left to starve. Moving military forces into mountainous regions where the civilian population is heavily armed is too costly, and there are no significant assets in the northwest Rocky Mountain states. Following the destruction of America in the next two years, a new world order in the form of a global government will then quickly rise to power. And that will bring us to the end of 2012, in the end of the current age. We will cross that date in the Mayan calendar where the Earth, the solar system, passed through the dark rift of the galactic center. And we cross from the age of Pisces into the age of Aquarius and from the old age and the old order into the new age and the new world order. And you'll see the two riders approaching, the lion standing up now, pouncing on the Gentiles. And Babylon, America, it has already fallen, fallen. It's a thing of the past. You know, we're shown again in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel's shown the four beasts at the end of the age. A lion with eagle's wings, England and America, the bear, Russia, the leopard with foreheads, Nazi Germany, and the fourth beast, the one world government, at the time of the end. And we are then told, and the eagle's wings were plucked. And that's what we're talking about tonight is the title of this show really could be The Plucking of the Wings. And remember the, the scripture in Isaiah 18, it started out with the the wings. The the distant nation with the wings buzzing. (laughs) Well, those buzzing wings are about to be plucked. And then the lion is lifted up from the earth and caused to stand on its feet as a man. And the heart of a man is given unto it. That's the Antichrist kingdom coming to power. That's the, the final, seventh kingdom of mystery Babylon coming to power as the daughter of Babylon has died. So, brothers and sisters, we're here. We're here. You know, those of us that have been watching for a while, the Lord woke me up in 1996 and showed me many things that would come and told me, go and warn the people. But I didn't know the timing. And I remember I've met so many people because
3: I made a lot of noise around
1: the country. And so I met a lot of people. And everybody wanted to know the timing. What's the timing, you know? Well, we know the timing. You know the timing, because I told you tonight. I know the timing. And, you know, it's been confirmed. And it's real. So what should the righteous do? What do we do? Well, you know, I'll tell you what. We I'll tell you what we don't do. We don't react in the flesh. Okay? We don't. Because it's not going to profit anything. Flesh profits nothing. And we follow the admonition of Scripture. So what do we do? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is his day. It's the day of the Lord. I would suggest that what we do is follow the Lord. I would suggest that what we do is sanctify our lives. A good place to start is in the tabernacle. For the tabernacle in the wilderness is the model for our coming into covenant relationship with our God. And if you don't know the Lord, and if you are tuning in, this tabernacle is an example for you as well. You come through the tabernacle, through the front door only. There's only one door in. There are no other ways in. And that door is Jesus. He said, I am the door to life. You come through the doorway of faith in Jesus Christ. Outside the tabernacle is where the wicked, unsaved world dwells. But the people of God are bid to come within the tabernacle, through the door. The first thing you meet First thing you are confronted with when you enter into the outer court where the people are are welcome to come. Anyone is welcome. Let all who will come, come. There is nobody barred from the outer court. You can get in there. You could be a prostitute, a drug addict. You could be. It does not matter who or what you are. You are permitted in the outer court. That's where the mixed multitude gathers. and Everyone is welcome in the outer court. First thing we are confronted with is the brazen altar. It's a huge altar. And it's lifted up. It's up. If there's a, like, not so much steps. as a smooth walkway up, and then a huge, probably 10, 15 feet across, brazen and altar. And it burns with coals, burning night and day. And the fire never goes out. And that's the altar of sacrifice. And if you want to enter into a relationship with our God, there must be. A sacrifice. Now in terms of our salvation, that sacrifice is Jesus Christ. He was the lamb that was slain. And they took him on that Passover day. And his life was put on that altar. And on his back our sins were placed. And for our sins he became sacrificial lamb, and he died for the sins of the world. He died for his people. He died for me, and he died for you, if you belong to him. There must be a sacrifice. But if we want to come within and enter into covenant with this God, there's also a sacrifice required of us. And this is where the modern Laodicean church missed it they stopped at the doctrine of salvation that by faith you are saved and they did not press on to the doctrine of sanctification they simply stopped at the point of faith
3: and believing
1: and and faith is the beginning of the covenant faith is the beginning of your walk with the lord absolutely but it's not the end we are pressed to press in we were told by jesus be ye holy your heavenly Father is holy, we were commanded to be holy. We were commanded to sanctify ourselves. We were commanded to consider our flesh crucified with Christ. We were commanded to put to death the things of the flesh, to put off the mind of the flesh, to put on the mind of Christ. That is all the process of sanctification. It is God's will, not only for us to receive the knowledge of salvation, and to receive the salvation of God in our spirit man, but that our entire body and mind and soul would be saved and could experience the salvation, the renewal, the restoration of the Lord. And in order for our bodies and our minds to become sanctified, which means to be set apart unto the Lord for holiness, they must be cleansed, because we've been walking around in a dirty world. We live among an unclean people, and we've been walking on a land that is defiled. We learned tonight that this land is defiled. The curse is devouring this land because of the sins of the people, because of the blood of the innocents and all the wickedness that's gone on for generation after generation. The land of the world. Not just America, but the whole world is defiled under the inhabitants thereof. And in that defilement, we have become defiled in our flesh. And in that defilement, we are unclean in our flesh. I'm not talking about losing our salvation in our spirit. I'm talking about our walk, the life we lead day to day. It's been compromised by the sin and the power of the curse. And the Lord wants to restore that. He wants to bring us into victory. He wants you to be clean. And He wants you to receive His salvation. And He wants His Holy Spirit overflowing, not just filling your spirit with new life, but He wants to fill your vessel as well. But before He's going to fill your vessel, which is your flesh, which, by the way, is nothing more than a tent. It's a container your life is in your soul, in your heart. It's merely expressed and experienced and perceived through the container or the tent we call the flesh. But in the unredeemed man, in the, in the men that are defiled, the container is defiling and dominating the mind. The senses of the flesh rule the heart. The lust of the eyes rules the mind. The lust of this life rules the thoughts. The people are under compulsion, obsession. They worship the things of the creature, experienced through the flesh. This is the death. We're not supposed to worship the creature. We're supposed to live with the Lord and worship the Lord. Yes, we are to experience the world, but it's supposed to be in balance. It's supposed to be just how we experience the goodness of the Lord. It's not supposed to be a love that devours all of our heart, dominates all of our life as alcohol does the alcoholic or pornography does the pervert. Or any sin does the one that is captured by it. If you're a sin, you bec- if you sin, you become a slave to the sin, and that's the dominance of the flesh. And that dominance must end. And the Lord wants to set you free. And how does He do it? Well, He uses the tabernacle, the same way Jesus did it. And didn't didn't Jesus say to us, "If any man wants to come after me, let him follow me. Pick up your cross." Well, through the model or the picture of the tabernacle, we're going to follow the Lord through the tabernacle. And the first place we go is the altar. Hallelujah. We're going to lay our lives down on the altar. We're going to lay down on that altar. The other night, the Lord had me lay down on the altar. And I laid down. The fire came. And your old man will be burned up. The mind of the flesh, when the scripture talks about putting to death your flesh, it is talking about the mind that is dominated by the flesh. It doesn't mean killing your finger or killing your body, per se. It means killing the rule of your body over your mind. Your mind is supposed to be ruled by your spirit and your spirit led by the Lord. Not your mind ruled by your belly or by the things of your flesh. By the lust of the life or by the desire of the flesh. Those things are not to rule you. And that's the case of man that has fallen. So at the altar, we're going to lay our lives down. We're going to lay our flesh down. And the Lord's going to bring the fire. And that mind of the flesh is going to die. We are going to put it to death. The scripture says that you should recognize that your mind of flesh has been crucified with Christ. You need to recognize it. You need to begin to perceive it. And you need to put it off. Now, one of the ways that we can bring ourselves practically onto the altar... Where we can bring the mind of the flesh to the altar and put it to death is prayer and fasting. And I'll tell you, friends, fasting is, is a quick way to quickly bring the flesh to the altar. Because within a matter of a day, perhaps two days, you will be hearing from the flesh. The flesh will be making its voice known. It will be making its demands heard. And it'll be screaming at you for food. And the first few days of a fast are a time when the flesh is put to death. And what I do, and I would encourage you to try this at home, in those first few days of a fast, when my flesh rises up, screams at me, Obey me, feed me, I tell it, Flesh, you are crucified with Christ, you are dead. You have no right to an opinion. You have no right to even speak. You go back to death and go back to the ground. I don't want to hear from you again. I'm serious. I tell my flesh to shut up and die. And then I go in my prayer closet and I pray. And I say, my Father, who art in heaven, holy be thy name, Father. Holy be thy name. And give me this day, Father, my daily bread. Because, Father, I have no other bread this day. I have no bread to eat but the living manna that comes down from heaven, Father. And this day, if you don't feed me, Father, then I'm not going to eat. Because the only bread that I have is the living manna that comes out of heaven. Man does not live by the bread of this life, by the bread of flesh, by the bread that is made by the hands of flesh. Man does not live by bread alone. You can go a few days without that bread. Man lives by every word out of the mouth of God, which is the living bread that comes out of heaven. The life of Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the bread of life. So, one of the ways to bring your flesh to the altar to the cross and to bring the reality of the cross in putting your mind of the flesh to death is by in obedience entering into a time of prayer and fasting. And in the first few days of the fast the flesh will want to rise up and it'll want to complain because it's not dominating anymore. You know, the flesh used to rule. You know, it's a tyrant. It used to get its way it's not happy at all that it can no longer get its way. It's going to argue with you. It's going to throw fits with you. It's going to give you all kind of grief. You just need to simply tell it to sit down, shut up, and get back in the ground. Tell it you're not going to listen to it. Tell it to be silent. And the mind of the flesh, well, you can put off the mind of the flesh. You can command it to come off you. And, and you can pray for the mind of the Spirit. And then um, you can go into your prayer closet and you can ask our Father the living bread because i gotta tell you folks our god is a god who still is seeking to save that which is lost our god is a god who said mercy triumphs over judgment and the lord is sending these judgments in successive waves in order to turn the people back to himself you know if all the lord wanted to do was wipe out the wicked in one great final judgment he, he could do it all in one day. But no one would repent. There would be no time for anyone to turn. Everyone would just be destroyed. And, and that's not the Lord's purpose. The Lord is not bring in the judgment because he wants to destroy the wicked. The Lord does not take any pleasure in the death of the wicked. The Lord, even in this final hour, is desperate for the salvation of his people. The Lord so desperately wants to save you more desperately than you see this hour the Lord is desperate to save you he is doing everything he can he has done and will continue to do everything he can to save you but you must cooperate you must learn to hear him you must learn to hear the Lord And I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, if you will obey the Lord in this hour and do the prayer and fasting, put the flesh off, go lay down on that altar and say, Lord, I'm coming in through the door of Jesus. I'm coming in the tabernacle. I know the door. Oh, yeah, I know the narrow way. I know the way in. I'm coming in the name of Jesus, and that will get you in. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise, and you can come right in. And go and lay down on the altar and say, Father, I I know you've called us to pick up our cross. I know you've called us to deny our flesh, to consider our flesh crucified. And so I'm going to start at the altar with the mind of the flesh. And I'm just going to lay the flesh down for a season. I'm going to lay that flesh down for a season. And, Father, for a time I'm going to be like the Israelites. And I'm going to go into the wilderness, into a spiritual Zion, and I'm going to need spiritual manna for food. And you're going to have to break the rock, Lord. I'm going to need living water because my heart is parched. My spirit is dried up. I've got to tell you, brothers and sisters, every time I do this, God moves. First, he answers those prayers. When you are seeking the Lord with all your heart, God knows. And you can say, when you've set aside the time, and it's not just fasting from not eating, but it's sanctifying the time. It's turning off the TV. It's, it's stopping the regular entertainment. It's, it's taking the time, that period of time, those days or weeks that you are sanctifying. <clears throat> it's taking that time and seeking the Lord. And you are searching your heart, and you are confessing your sins and, you know, if you can do it in a group, a solemn assembly, you're praying for each other and you're confessing your sin one to another and you're pouring out your heart, the Lord will take notice. He said in his scriptures, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face. And you throw in a little prayer and fasting just for good measure because that was commanded in elsewhere in the scripture. Lord says, then I will hear from heaven, and I will heal them. Brothers and sisters, with this being the final hour before the breaking in, the great inbreaking, this is the time that the Lord has ordained for prayer and fasting. This is the time the Lord has ordained for the salvation of His people. And this is the time for him who has ears to hear. To let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Him who has eyes to see, let him see what comes upon the broad plains of Babylon. Let him see. You know, and those that are wicked, let them be wicked still. And he that is holy, let him be made holy still. And the Spirit and the Bride say, come. Come, Lord Jesus. Oh, he's coming, hallelujah. We don't have to wait long now, church. The night is almost spent and the day is coming. Well, in few, we have a few minutes left. I want <clears throat> to talk about the practicalities of fasting. Some of you guys um, are wanting to respond, and maybe you, you know, you've got some questions. Um, so I want to speak to that. There's different ways. We talked about it in the, fa- in, in the past. There's different ways to fast. But I want to talk about what I think is the best way to fast, and it's an awesome way to fast, and I want to explain it so you guys can, can do it too. And Omega Man has put a link somewhere on on the website. Um, There's a link to a webpage where there's a book uh, written by a Christian doctor who spent his life researching fasting. And he came up with a scientific way to fast, which I believe is of the Lord. And I think it was of the Spirit of God that the Lord brought this forward at this time. And I think it's for this hour, for his remnant people that need help in this hour on how to fast, and this fast is simply awesome. It's incredible. I've done it myself. I can tell you from personal experience, it is better than um, described in the book. And the, the fast is basically distilled water with cut-up vegetables: carrots in six parts, beets in four, celery in two. And this is all in the book. Um, if you want, and I would encourage you to actually take the time to read this book, but from at least the beginning, and it's a pretty quick read, it's big fonts, to the middle of the book where they talk about the formula for the fast. I would read the book before you start, and then you can read the rest of the book as you're in the fast. This, this fast is for a minimum of 10 days um, and, and actually designed for much longer, for, for anywhere from 17 to 23 to even 30 or 40 days. And obese people have even gone 50 to 60 days on this fast. The fast is so effective because what it does is cleanse your temple of all the poison. These vegetables are cleaned. They're not peeled. They're cleaned and cut up and placed in a glass container filled with distilled water, placed in a fridge overnight. The water leaches out the organic minerals, the organic salt, and the electrolytes. Now, use organic vegetables, not vegetables that have been sprayed with pesticides because we want clean water, not pesticide water. That water is all you drink. You eat no solid food. You take nothing else. You could throw a couple peppermint leaves in the water in the container to add a little flavor. I personally don't, but a little peppermint goes in there if you want. What this water does is it keeps your bloodstream elevated with Nutrients with organic salts and with electrolytes, so you don't get that I'm crashing, oh, I'm so tired, I'm dying, I can't do anything feeling that comes from regular water fasting. At the same time, this fast will allow you to go completely off food. You're not going to eat anything, and there's no cheating. You can't just have one slip one meal in here. And this is why. First of all, you want this fast to work because it is so powerful to clean your temple. After a period of days, after the third day, you stop being hungry completely. Into the fourth day, the hunger is gone, and you start feeling great, and you are shedding body weight. On average, it could be a pound to two pounds a day. I lose about two pounds a day on this fast. Much of that body weight after the third day is in the form of toxic poison. what, What am I talking about in terms of poison? I'm talking about insecticides, pesticides heavy metals, all the poison in the air you breathed, the water you drink, and the food you ate, and the poison that was chemtrail sprayed over your head, all that poison is going to flush out of you. I'm serious. The poison has been absorbed into your cellular structure, along with mucous membranes on the cellular level, along with calcified mineral deposits that are hardening your arteries and hardening your ligaments. That's why as you get older, you're getting stiffer and more achy and less mobility. That's not old age. Moses was vibrant and full of life to the age of 120. What you're experiencing is environmental poisoning, not old age. They just call it old age because everybody's being poisoned today. Well, this fast is going to take the poison out of you, folks. It's going to restore your youth. Remember I said the Lord wanted to save your body? His salvation includes your temple. His salvation is total. He wants to save every part of you, including your temple, which He wants to fill with the Holy Spirit so that you could walk in the fullness of His power. But first, He's going to remove the poisons from you. And stop and consider for a moment Even as our God is one, the Lord is one, so we who were created in His image are one person. Yet we have body, soul, and spirit. But we are one. If your body, which represents the outer court, is polluted with toxic waste, it affects your mind. It affects your spirit. You're one. So the poisoning of the people of God has affected the thinking of the people of God, which has affected the spiritual condition of the people of God. For the scripture says, as a man thinks, so is he. So if I can affect your thinking by poisoning your body, and if I can affect the reality of who you are by changing your thinking, then you can see the strategy of the enemy in poisoning your body. Thus the Lord's strategy to recover your body and bring you total salvation. Thus, the reason we're talking about this fast here tonight. And this is something that really everyone should do. Now, I know some of you think, I can't fast. Well, through Christ you can do all things. And if you have real problems fasting, if you've tried fasting before and you simply could not handle the hunger pains, there are certain herbs you can take that will diminish the hunger that is accompanied the first few days of fasting. And one of those is an herb called hudia. And um, I'm going to do a little commercial for Omega Man here, and he did not ask me to do this, um, though we did discuss at some point bringing this to the listening audience, but I'm doing this just on my own. Omega Man has a business that is a completely separate business called Desert Burn in which he has uh, marketed and and is one of the leading distributors for uh, pure, natural uh, hudia out of Africa, which is an actual dietary supplement that's used essentially for weight loss, uh, for appetite suppression. And it works in the context of the first few days of fasting. I know because I've actually tried uh, the Desert Burn Hudia on fast previously, and it definitely diminished... The, those hunger pains in the first three days. So if you're the kind of person who wants to fast but has been defeated and unable to go past those first couple days, which can be kind of tough, um, you might want to uh, try this uh, Desert Burn um, health additive, this herbal additive. It's an herb, um, and therefore it doesn't contradict this water fast. It doesn't have uh, a caloric or a protein um, Involved. It's strictly an herb that just does some uh, enzyme that causes the brain to think you're you're full that you've eaten, and, and, and anyway suppresses the hunger pain. So there is that health aid, and I don't um, a uh, it's there if you if you feel you need it. But everyone needs to do this fast because after the third or the fourth day, what's happened? in, in you need to completely cleanse the intestinal and the colonic tracts, which means you, be, you need. Fiber drinks, you need a ball tone or some type of fiber drink. And once you've cleansed the, the tracts, what will happen on, around the fourth day, the body will go into reverse and begin to burn the fat tissue, begin to burn up the diseased and degenerated cells, begin to burn out the poisons and the toxins inside the body, and they will begin to accumulate in the intestine and they will begin to pass out of the body. You'll want to continue fiber or psyllium drink during the days of the fast because you will daily be experiencing poisons coming out of you. You'll be brushing your teeth. I brush my teeth six times a day. You will be sneezing. You'll be taking showers several times a day because the skin will be pouring out toxins, and you will be... um, passing from yourself, from your body, toxic poison. The average adult Westerner is carrying about 20 pounds of actual poisonous chemicals in their body. Embedded in the uh, mucous membranes at the cellular level are pesticides and mercury molecules and arsenic and seriously, you know, environmental toxins. You really need an EPA permit to dump this stuff, but... You're going to be doing it at a microscopic level. Uh, These are environmental toxins that are inside your body as a result of living in this polluted world over the course of your many years. And the Lord wants to get you clean. He wants to clean your temple. And he wants to clean your soul. He wants to bring you salvation. After the fourth or fifth day, this toxic waste starts really coming out of you. And on the sixth day, it begins pick up and brothers and sisters i mean you your mind starts to clear if you're struggling with depression this fast will cure depression if you're struggling with anxiety and fear this fast will blow that away like a fog and then you'll you'll instead you'll have a bright clear and sunny day i I mean you wake up you start this fast in the flesh with kind of the angst of oh you know the stress of This current hour, what are we going to do? You know, the day of the Lord's here. Nobody really knows what to do. There's a famine of hearing from the Lord, and you sure can't figure this out on your own. You get into this fast. You obey the Lord. You put your body, you put your flesh on that altar, and you let the flames burn it up. You tell it to get back in the grave when it talks back to you, and you press on to seek the Lord with fasting and prayer. And i got to tell you, by the seventh day, brothers and sisters, you're waking up in the morning, you're hearing angels. I hear angels singing, everlasting love, never-ending love. I hear worship songs in the Spirit as I'm waking in the morning. And when you enter into prayer, when you've been fasting and praying, sanctifying your time, you know, on the seventh day, you enter into prayer, the Lord comes. Let me tell you, the King who rules the universe takes notice when His children are weeping before Him and seeking Him with all their might. The king hears from heaven, and he comes. And as those poisons begin to pass out of you, and let me tell you, this fast is so encouraging because as you see these poisons, and, you know, I'm not going to describe them. I'll let you experience it for yourself. Um, You'll get really motivated because you'll say, wow, that actually, I can get that out of my body. And you'll see how clear your mind is becoming. You'll begin to realize, I was poisoned. No wonder I was having so much trouble. I was, I was chemically ill. My brain was chemically toxic. And now that I'm getting my brain healed and I'm no longer poisoned, I can think clear again. Now I can suddenly hear the Lord again. And I'm no longer filled with anxiety and fear. Now I'm filled with p- faith and power and the Holy Spirit. So I would encourage you, uh, brothers and sisters, Everybody needs to be fasting in this hour. You know, this is not optional. This is a commandment. You know, if you don't believe me, go read the book of Joel or search it out. You know, do a search for fasting and fasting in prayer. You know, you've got to use, uh, you know, King James Bible, though. If you use your new you know, international version, all the references to prayer and fasting were deleted. Funny, isn't it? How did they make that mistake? Every reference to prayer and fasting removed from the book. Think that was just a coincidence? Or do you think Satan is that afraid? Yeah, that's it. The enemy is so fearful of you fasting and praying because the day you do decide to humble yourself and to seek his face and to turn from your wicked ways and to gather together in your solemn assembly and to fast, and to pray. The day you decide to obey the Lord, not be a hearer of His Word only, but to become a doer of the Word, to actually walk in the ancient path, to seek the straight and the narrow way, which is the good way, on that day the kingdom of hell trembles. Fear shudders through the kingdom of darkness. Because on that day, the God of heaven will hear turns his ear and his countenance to his people. So brothers and sisters, I thank you for listening tonight. I thank you for your prayers. The lateness of the hour is upon us, brothers and sisters, but, you know, do not fear. Do not be afraid. The Lord is coming. He's faithful. He's going to help you. If you've never fasted before, Ask him for help. That's what I do. I, I can't fast in my own strength. You know, yeah, the first few days are kind of hard. I know. I know they are. And, you know, you, got, you can't drink coffee either, okay? This detox fast, don't be drinking any coffee. You can't be putting more poison in. And I'm sorry, you've got to put cigarettes out too. No smoking, no drinking, no joking. We're talking about real sanctification of the temple here. We're talking about real fire of flesh. We're talking about really putting your life on that altar. And we're talking about the real God in heaven, really hearing the cries of his people and really healing your land. You know, and thank you for being with us tonight. Thanks for listening, and thank you for keeping me in your prayers. And, and, um... Brother Shannon, thank you for letting me uh, be on your show.
2: Benjamin, this was the best program I have heard in many years, man. I've been blessed just sitting here and listening. Praise God for you, my friend. And, uh, folks, this is going to be up on MP3 in about ten minutes. I would encourage you to send this to everyone out there that you know. And I've also put a link up to the fasting book that Benjamin mentioned in our show notes. Uh, May the Lord richly bless you and keep you, Benjamin.
1: Thank you, brother. God bless you all.
2: God bless you, folks. That was Benjamin Brook. What an honor tonight. And I would encourage everyone to go and download this program and spread it to your friends. I want to close with uh, two scripture quotes. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of Yahweh our God, Psalms 20 and 7. And then Isaiah 31, woe to them that go down to Egypt for help and stand horses and trust in chariots because they are many, and and horsemen, because they are very strong. But they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. We need to seek the Lord with all our hearts, minds, and souls in this hour, folks. And we need to uh, pray fast, and uh, we can get instructions for this hour if we'll do so. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in tonight. May the Lord richly bless you and keep you until our next program, and we hope to see Benjamin back next week. God bless everyone out there.